we hear often in the New Testament, particularly Paul likes to talk about the body of Christ. And some are arms, some are legs, some are hands, and, and that everyone working together in, in unison and with unity makes us strong, makes us the, the, really the physical manifestation of Christ in the world is the body of Christ. And they stepped up big time. And I want to just say a prayer of thanks to God before you, before them. Would you join me, please? Father, we thank you so much in your provision for these wonderful people and, and the time and the tireless effort and the energy that they expended because they love you and they love their church. And God, I thank you so much personally. I can't imagine my life uh, had we not had such capable, competent, sacrificial people such as these. And we pray your blessing over them. And God, I'm thankful that the church family was able to reflect back how important and how much they appreciate all that was done. And we praise you ultimately as you are our ultimate provider in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Well done, guys. Okay, a couple other things. Lots going on around here, all right? You've maybe heard us talk about the ABC days that are coming up, the All Bethel Community Day. And the Bethel Independent School District is going to have this massive fair, if you will, and they're letting us have a booth there. And we're going to have a booth on October 1st, and it's going to be, we're going to be promoting a half-day marriage seminar called Home Builders. And we're going to have free child care, and we're going to try to get people to register and sign up there. And then two weeks later on October 15th, we're going to have the Home Builders Marriage Seminar here. It'll be from 9 to 12.30, and it'll be three sessions. The church family is certainly welcome to come, but what we recognize as a possibility is that we could get full in our children's area. And so what we're going to do is we're going to wait before we let the church family sign up for child care. We're going to let the ABC sign-ups happen and so that we can serve our community. And, and once, they're, once they're, that, that ABC day is done, then we'll open up child care and it'll be on a first-come, first-served basis. I hope that you understand that. And then after that, the next week, we're going to have date night for everyone who came to the uh, home builders so they can all go out and keep their kids here for free and start to put into practice the things we're going to talk about on the 15th. And so we need volunteers. We need help all three of those days. We need a total of 65 volunteers, some to help us on October 1st behind the booth, just being a friendly face, really engaging with people and trying to encourage them to sign up for the home builders class. And then the day of the home builders class, that Saturday morning, we need people that will be greeting with smiles on your face. We need people that will be helping with snacks. We need some of you in here participating in the uh, the, the marriage conference as well, so that you have a chance just to introduce yourselves and they can see that, wow, they're among people just like themselves. We're normal, we're ordinary, and we're constantly works in progress, right? And then date night. We need help for child care on date night as well as child care for the conference. So that's what we need you to sign up for. If you would, please, you can indicate that uh, on our website. You can go to What's Happening. You can sign up and say, yeah, I want to help. Or you could fill out your Connect card and let us know. Uh, that way would be great as well. And you can put them in the boxes on your way out. But that's how... We hope to serve our community because that's why we're here. That's why we exist, okay? Before I pray and ask for God's blessing over our time of teaching, I also want to recognize that worship involves singing, it involves listening, it involves um, applying, but it also involves giving back to God. And if you're visiting with us, this is not for you, okay? This is for those who call this place home. And we recognize that we have an opportunity to give back to God in a way that honors Him and in a way that funds and fuels ministry. 
And so I want to pray for our offering. Uh, those of you at home can do it online. Those of you that are here, you can, you, know, you can do it online. You can drop them in the boxes as well. But let me pray and ask for God's blessing on our offering. Father, thank you for everything you've given us. And Father, I pray that as we give back to you, that we would do it cheerfully. We would do it not begrudgingly. If our hearts are not in it, may we not give, Lord God, because you want more than anything else. You don't need our money. You want our hearts. But Father, a heart that has truly after you recognizes that we have everything in you. And you call us and command us to give back in a way that reflects that. And I pray that we will give to you in a way that recognizes the sacrifice that you gave us in Jesus. And that you would use the offering to move the kingdom of God forward. And we pray your blessing over it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Well, let's get our Bibles open. If you, you have a Bible app, the uh, Version Bible app, you can actually go to the Version Bible app under uh, more, the little tab, more at the bottom of that app, and then hit events, and you'll actually see High Point, and you'll get the notes right there where you don't have to write them down. So if you, wanna, if you want to do that, that would be great. And we are going to be in the book of Acts today, so if you will get your table of contents open, this is our favorite page of all the Bible, you got a New Testament, you got an Old Testament. The book of Acts is the fifth book down of the New Testament. So whatever page that corresponds to in your Bible, go ahead and turn there. I'm going to actually turn to Matthew chapter 28 before we get there, before I get to Acts. So if you'll find Acts chapter 1, I'm going to look for Matthew chapter 28, and we will be ready. As I said before, this is really kind of the first day of the new year, the church year kind of coincides with school. And I don't know if you can tell, I'm really excited. And I'll be honest with you, I have not felt this way for the last couple of years. COVID will do that to you, right? The staff challenges we have, that'll do that to you. But I am super excited. We have a full staff. Praise God for that. And now we also don't have the COVID restrictions so I always felt like the last couple of years, I, I mean, I live out in the future. That's where I think. That's where I breathe. That's where I want to spend my time. But it's like COVID was like stepping on my air hose, and I was suffocating. And now it's wide open, and all the mission or ministry opportunities are wide open. I am super excited for what we're planning and, and the, the, how we're going to move out. But we got to be ready for that. And what COVID did, even though it's over, COVID's over, thankfully so, but the, the implications and, and maybe even some of the, the damage that was done is not, both inside the church and outside the church. You see, inside the church, what happened during COVID is you had a disconnection. People couldn't come at some point or wouldn't come at some point, or, or, or when they did come, we were wearing masks, and, and it was just hard to connect, and that was really a struggle inside the church. There was also disunity at times, right? The, the feelings, strong feelings, believe me, I was in the middle of them between masks and no masks, vaccines and no vaccines, not to mention the political mm, that was going on. And then you, you had the, just we were out of the ministry routine. Man, it was nice to stay in bed and maybe turn on the live stream the service. That's kind of nice to be in your pajamas and just kind of, you know, eat your breakfast while you're watching church and stuff like that. And because we couldn't really do anything, we didn't do anything. And so we, are, we have a challenge to kind of still work on that disconnection 
and maybe some of the disunity and maybe some of the, the just being out of the, the rhythm and, and routine. We, we got the challenge. That's inside the church. But we have a challenge outside the church. Atheism is growing. The nuns are growing. You know what the nuns are? The nuns are those who, when they're asked to check a box over what religious affiliation they have, they choose none. We, we are in a, and this number is growing, the post-Christian era. And those are people who have tried Christianity and go, that's eh, not for me. I don't see the need. I mean, that's the challenge in front of us. And we have a whole new year, a whole new year, wide open for us to do something about that. And this morning, I thought we needed to kind of just start by looking at what is our vision? What, what is in front of us? What do we need to be reminded of? What do we need to reorient our minds around? And I wanted to use this little motivational trick that, uh, and pardon the sports analogy here, but this is effective. What sports teams will do, and I'm just going to choose football, it's football season. What I've seen coaches do, and it's powerful, what coaches will do is they'll be in, their, in, their, in the room with all their players. It's kind of like a little bit of an auditorium, you know, with kind of theater seating. And they'll say, I got a special guest for us today. And, and, and the coach is trying to motivate his players. And he brings in not someone who was an ex-player, not, not merely an ex-player, someone who used to play for the university, but he brings in a star. And he asks them to share a few words. And, and the football players, their eyes are just big and they're riveted on, wow, there he is. I've seen him on TV, but there he is right in front of us. And he's one of us, or we're one of him. And then what that player will do, that star player will say, is he'll talk about the legacy that's been left. He'll talk about the heritage, the foundation that's been built that these guys now are building upon. And he'll tell them, go out and make your contribution to this legacy. Go out and build upon this foundation and this heritage of what was started a long time ago of what I know you'll finish and complete and do well. And man, they get all fired up and they, man, they run out and the coach hopes, I hope that carries us 10 or 12 games, something like that, right? Well, this morning, I wanted to bring in some people, some voices from our heritage that I, I hope and pray fire us up and get us mindful again of the heritage upon which without it we may not even be here. And I want us to sense our place in the story that God continues to write and the, and, and the legacy that he continues to want us to leave by bringing in four different individuals. And I thought about kind of maybe dressing up and, you know, trying to impersonate them. But I'm a terrible actor. Once in a church play at family camp, I was asked to be Jesus. And I, I told, this was my boss. I looked at my boss and I go, I can't do that. He didn't particularly like that. He wanted me to say yes. He goes, you need to be Jesus. I go, I will laugh being Jesus. When you, when I, he wanted me to lift my arms out and look like, like, oh, come to me. Right? And I go, I'm going to laugh when I do that. This is not what you're looking for. So anyways, I, I thought, you know, I better not do that. So as much as I wanted to do that, I can't. But I, it's not going to stop me from letting us hear these voices. And the first voice that I want to start with is, who do you think the first one would be? In church, whenever asked a question in church, the answer is always Jesus, all right? Just get that, right? Anytime I ask a question, go, Jesus, right, good answer. 
We're going to start with Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. And, I, and, and again, I, if, if we could please hear these words as if Jesus was really right here. Because he is. And this is what Jesus said. Well, I'm, I'm going to say it as I have it memorized. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And, and he got that. Or back up, get back and roll. I got that. Because I came back from the dead. I said I was going to do it three days. Take me three days, and I did it after three days. And so all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I mean, Jesus speaking to his disciples, he's speaking to us. And what I want us to notice is that Jesus in this commission, in this mission that he gives us, he gives us something to do. As the church, we have been given a mission, something for us to do. And, and the, the two things that stand out of what he said there is he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's sharing the message and hope of Christ to people that, that accept it and embrace it. And then we baptize them as their public way of saying to all, I'm on team Jesus. And then he says, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And that's when we take someone who's been baptized, who's, who's a follower of Jesus, and now we teach them the word of God so that they grow in Christ-likeness as they go out into the world. So Jesus gives us a mission. And that mission, he says, is to go. Not stay, not hunker down, but go. And what we need to recognize is that following Jesus, my friends, it is both a private devotion and a public service. And we tend to do one or the other better than the other. We tend to lean more and, and maybe even heavily more on, for many of you, the personal devotion, right? It's, it's I, the, the praying to God, the, the reading of God's word, the coming to church and worshiping. And it's like you're, you're kind of, you're, you're working on your character. You're working on the inside. You're doing that, that personal devotion that, that we want to be more like Christ. But it's coming at the expense of giving priority or, or, or equal priority to the public side, the going out. Think about it this way. You're, you're like, as followers of Jesus, you are like mobile hotspots that are in places at work, at school, uh, next door to somebody, playing on the golf course, wherever you are. You're like a mobile hotspot that God wants to use to reach other people. But we tend to focus, and, and I'm just going to ask you, be real and be honest. Just, just ask yourself, do I really sense that? Did I wake up this morning aware of the mission? Was that on my mind? Is it on my mind? Wherever I'm going, do I, do I sense I've been sent? I've been sent out. My private personal devotion is important, but my public service is equally important. 
And then we see in Acts chapter 1. Now we get to where I asked you to turn to. Acts chapter 1. Jesus is following the commission to his disciples. And what's interesting about the book of Acts, there's not much, te there's not much teaching in the book of Acts. It's not like the letters that Paul wrote to the different churches. It's not like Jesus is teaching the Sermon on the Mount where there are spiritual principles and we're taught how we are to think and how we are to live and what we are to say and what we're not to say and, and those kinds of things. You won't find that in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is one complete book about what the apostles did. Does anybody know why it's called Acts? The Acts of the Apostles. And to me, that tells me, following the four Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, what God is saying is, I've, here's the teaching. It's important. Learn it. Now go. Go out. Go therefore. And live it out. Are you aware that your relationship with Jesus is public? Do you lean to the side of, of the personal private devotion? And you do very well there, but it comes at the expense of, of living publicly at work, at where you play, wherever, wherever you might be. Because he says go. But then he doesn't leave us to do that in our own effort. In verse 8 of chapter 1, he says, but you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's that go, therefore, go to all nations. Now he's given them a little bit of a kind of like a, I want you to go to Jerusalem. I want you to go to Judea. I want you to go to Samaria. I want you to go out as far as you can, east, west, north, and south. And so we have this incredible mission that we're given, but we notice that we're, we're given the power of the Spirit of God to be witnesses. Which means to be a witness is to share with words what you know, what you've experienced. I mean, I, I get so, and I understand it, I, I get so tired of hearing people think, I'm just going to live my life in such a way that people will notice that I'm a different person. But I, I just can't say anything. Well, I can tell you, believe it or not, there are a lot of really nice atheists. There are, really, there are a lot of nice Mormons. There are a lot of nice Jehovah's Witnesses. There are a lot of nice Hindus. We, the list could go on. But when we're sent out, we're sent out certainly indeed, all right? How we live our lives is important because what we say will be judged on how we live. And I get that. But we must speak with our words as a witness. And what do witnesses do? Witnesses say, this is what I've seen. Witnesses don't tell you what you should do, how you should live. They tell you, this is where I found life. Do you think like that? Are you mindful of that? In the classroom, in a restaurant, on the golf course, at a football game. Do you think about, how can I use my words? What can I say that will point people to this incredible love that God has shown us in Christ? 
where I can tell lost people where they can find life, not tell them how to live. Some, of, some people get frustrated because they expect people who are not followers of Jesus to, to live like they are. I mean, you've got to knock that off. To ask someone to live a life that Christ wants them to live without them following Jesus, you're asking them, be religious. And that Jesus came at the religious people. Don't tell them how to live. Just tell them, here's where I found life. Here's how Jesus changed my life. As a witness, do you get that? Is that on your radar? Is it on mine? So we have the words of Jesus. Now, with that being laid out there, let's look at three individuals and, and, and the words that I believe would come from them if, if I could invite them. And the first one's going to be Peter. You got to love Peter. Peter was a knucklehead, right? Peter was the one who was always shooting his mouth off and then trying to figure out how he was going to make it happen after, you know, after he said something. And, and, but Peter was also, he was gung-ho for Christ. But what we have to remember about Peter to really, I think, get something from his voice. Peter denied Jesus how many times? Three. And Jesus told him beforehand, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Now, he's talking to the leader of the apostles, the one who kind of just seems to kind of, he was the one who kind of stuck his head out the most. He was the one that when they were walking as a crowd, he, he was close to Christ or he was out in front. I mean, he, or when Christ wasn't there, he was out in front. He, this was the guy. And Jesus came to him and he said, you're going to deny me. And Peter said, never, never. And then what happens? The, the night that Jesus is arrested, oh my, now times are getting scary and it's getting dangerous. And Peter's backing up just a little bit from the crowd. And people start pointing to Peter, hey, that guy was with him too. And Peter's like going, no, 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 I don't know him. I don't know him. And, and what Peter would say is, is that Peter would say, I denied my Savior three times. I was with him. I watched him. He loved me. He gave his life for me. And I denied him. I was afraid. I was afraid to be identified with him. And every time someone pointed at me and I said, I don't know him, it's like someone just took a dagger in my heart and just stabbed me. And every time I heard the, roast, the rooster crow, as he said one would when I denied him, I hated myself. How could I do that? And then when I watched him crucified, I was so much anguish and torment, confusion. Maybe denying him was the right thing. And then I hear he's raised from the dead. And, and then I hear he's come back from the which he said he would do. But I don't want to see him. I didn't want to see him. He was right. I didn't want to be around him because I would, I would be reminded that I, I denied him three times. And then he saw me. And I was stuck. And he called me over. And he restored me. 
He said, Peter, feed my sheep. He restored me. I mean, who does that? How much love does that take? What kind of man does that? And that changed me. And then the Spirit of God in Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God, the, whole, the, the Pentecost, the Spirit of God came inside of me, and I began to speak courageously. I began to speak without fear. And we see this in Acts chapter 2. Look at verses 22. To start there. Listen, these, these, this is Peter speaking to people who, who wanted him dead, who wanted him to be quiet to the religious establishment, he says in verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. This Jesus the Nazarite was a man pointed, pointed out to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Skip down to verse 32. God has resurrected this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you both see and hear. And skip down to verse 37, their response. When they heard this, they came under deep conviction and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? Repent. Peter said to them. In other words, change your mind about who he is and change the direction you're living your lives. And be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. This is the guy who denied Jesus three times. And here he is proclaiming courageously the message of Christ. My friends, when you hear those words and that voice, I, I hope and pray that that stirs up in you a sense that, that I need to speak courageously about Jesus. As a witness, I need to speak up at home school, at work, at the bar, at a game, I need to speak up. Peter changed dramatically. Now, where did he find the courage to do that? He was filled with the Spirit of God. And when we become followers of Christ today, we receive the Spirit of God. The, the, the power that Jesus said in Acts chapter 1 to be witnesses, we receive that. You have the power within you to step up and to speak as a witness. You have that. I have that. But we're afraid. We're like Peter. We, we fall back from the crowd. We, 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 we're quiet. We, we don't want to be identified as one of those people because what people think about us. But we have within us the power to do that. And I would encourage you, just small steps. Just start taking small steps. Just, just things like, Hey, how can I pray for you? Or maybe just in a conversation say, guys, you're not going to believe this, man, but I was really struggling, and I, I prayed to God for some strength for that. And, man, I, I got it. Just, just start like that. 
I've tried to do little things. Well, I've tried to do big things. This is an area for me that I, I realize I love talking to people about Jesus. I just love that. It energizes me. Now, I don't like talking to people in the hospital that don't feel well. So if you're sick, don't call me. I'm not going to make you feel better. Okay? I mean, I still go, but I take Nancy with me. But that's just how we're wired up. You're really, some of you are really good in the hospital, but you're not really good with things I'm talking about right now, right? I get that. But start small. In the last few years, what I try to do is now when I'm at a restaurant and I'm being waited on, I try to let the person who's waiting on me know that, hey, you're serving us. Thank you. We want to serve you. And I just ask them, hey, we're about to pray for our meal. Can we pray for you? And believe me, I get some interesting looks. Uh, I get people say, nope, oh, all good. And I don't let them off the hook. You know what I say to them? I go, great, we're going to pray that it stays like that. Just, just to love them. I just wanted to know, I mean, I, I would love to tell you some of the stories, some of the really cool stories. But the thing that I've started more recently, I just feel strongly about doing this, is that when I have just random interactions in public, most recently on the golf course, playing with some guys I didn't know, at the 18th hole, took my hat off, and we're all just saying, hey, you know, shaking hands. And as we're walking off, I said to the guys, I said, guys, I hope tonight you go to bed knowing that Jesus loves you more than you could possibly know. Okay, dude, thanks, man. You know, I mean, it's, it's all right, fine. That's all right. That's okay. That's okay. I'm not on the hook for what people think. I'm on the hook for what God thinks. Right? Peter. He was afraid like we're afraid. But the Spirit of God and the, and, and, and the power that we're given, we can do it. Let's go to the next guy. Acts chapter 7. Turn to Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen. Oh, Stephen. Acts chapter 7. Verse 51. Let's understand what Stephen's doing here. Stephen, like Peter, he's talking to religious people. And he's taking them through the story of Israel and God's faithfulness throughout. And he's also kind of building this crescendo of them trying to see, hey, the guy you're trying, that, that, that you crucified, that was the guy. That was the Messiah. That was the anointed one that the Old Testament prophets spoke of. That was the, the, the one that the New Testament prophets spoke of that you actually executed. That was the guy. And we get to 51, and Stephen says this, Amongst people who do not like him, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They even killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels, and yet you have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were enraged in their hearts and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, filled by the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven. He saw God's glory with Jesus standing at the right hand of God, standing, mind you. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they screamed at the top of their voices, covered their ears, and together rushed against him. They threw him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named, who is that? Saul. 
who we know today as Paul. They were stoning Stephen as he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And saying this, he fell asleep, a euphemism for he died. Now, if Stephen were to come and, and speak and, and we would hear his voice, I think we would hear something like this. I was speaking what I was taught. I was saying what was true. And I realized that the crowd was getting angry. And I became acutely aware of all their movements. And as they came in closer, as they, as they started to rush me, I knew that my life was not long for living. I cannot tell you why I did not run. I cannot tell you why I did not fight back. I looked up. And I saw Jesus, whom I've been taught sits at the right hand of God. But I saw him standing. I now realize he was standing because he was waiting for me. He was standing because he saw me living out my faith and not shrinking back and speaking boldly and looking up for the eternal perspective, the prize for which I, I was living my life. I was okay to die. Standing, Jesus was standing when I think about my life and how I'm living my life, I, mean, I, I would love for Jesus to stand for me. I don't know that he will. But that's, a, that's an image in my head that Jesus, who sits at the right hand of God, he saw Stephen and he saw what was happening and he knew that Stephen's end was coming and, and he knew that Stephen, in looking up, because that's where the prize was in Stephen's heart, that's where the prize was in Stephen's mind, he looked up and he stands. Powerful that was. To the point that Stephen does what he saw his Savior do on a cross. When Jesus was nailed to a cross and they were hurling insults at him, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. I mean, who does that? And Stephen, having seen that, does what only he knows to do because he saw his Savior, the one that he's committed his life to, his Lord, his Captain King and CEO. And he says, God, forgive them. May you not hold this against them. The voice of Stephen. Maintaining an eternal perspective, my friends, is critical to our mission. When we get distracted with worldly stuff, when we're trying to live as if this is heaven, and some of you are doing that. Some of you think this is as good as it's going to get. And you're sadly mistaken. And, and this, was, this is challenging for me because I, I've been brought in, drawn in sometimes. There, there's things that I, as I get older, I, 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 my eye gets a little more distracted. I, mean, I don't know if it's because I've just been doing this long enough. I'm kind of getting tired or whatever. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's because, you know what, the world's getting better at being able to wiggle that shiny little object out there. But what I know with the voice of Stephen is how important it is that we maintain an eternal perspective. It's critical to our mission. 
And the way that I know best to keep an eternal perspective, this is me personally, is I stay out on the edge of eternity. I'm I'm like right here, and when I'm talking to people who are not followers of Jesus, I know that they are on the edge of eternity. Eternity with God or eternity separated from God in hell. And I have an opportunity to talk with them and, and to just drop the seeds out there. The words, humbly spoken, not as one who's arrived. That's the mistake about Christianity. Is people think because we believe that Jesus is the only way that somehow we've captured it and that we're better than everybody else and that we know the way. Well, if those people only knew that the way starts with our realizing that we're, we're depraved, we're broken, we're sinful and deserve nothing, and God gives us everything in Christ. And when you're on the edge of people's eternity and you're talking to them, man, that'll keep you alive. That'll keep your perspective where it needs to be for the church to be the church. All right, let's close her down. Our last one, let's talk about Saul. You saw or you heard me read in verse 58 of chapter 7. Do you know who was behind the stoning of Stephen? Saul. Saul led it. He was passionate about persecuting Christians, chasing down the enemy. In, in Romans chapter, or excuse me, in Acts chapter eight, verse three, it says Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house and drag off men and women and put them in prison. So, what we have to understand about Saul was that he was a rock star. Educationally, he 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 was the, the brightest of the bright. Religiously, he was like the religious of the religious. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I mean, he, he had the pedigree to be at the top of the heap, and he was. And then his, his, his status grew as he chased down Christians and, and, and as, he, as he sought to persecute them and shut them up because it was bad for business, religiously speaking. And then he meets Jesus. While en route to continue to do what he's been doing, look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, the way of Jesus, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord, he said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. He replied, but get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. So here's another restoration, right? Peter, one time. Now we've got Saul being stopped dead in his tracks, not struck down by lightning, not immediately destroyed, Not smited, but restored. And what we know about Saul is he becomes Paul, and Paul is unleashed 
and he goes to the Gentile world, in other words, the non-Jewish world, to take the message of Christ to the world. The very message that he passionately chased people down and persecuted them in order to shut them up. He now goes and takes that message and, and those words come out of his mouth into the hearts and minds and ears of others. And it did not come cheap. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, what we need to recognize about Paul was that when he chose to follow Jesus, he went from the top of the heap to the bottom. The socioeconomic status that he had was gone. His reputation shot. And they used that against him as he was out proclaiming the gospel. His buddies, once his buddies, were now pointing to Paul's inferior message, his, his inferior stature, his inferior, what they thought, pedigree. Don't listen to Paul, they would say. And we see in 2 Corinthians where he's in this interaction and Paul is having to defend himself. He didn't do it often. He's actually embarrassed to do it. We'll see that. But listen to what Paul says in verse 22. He says, he's talking about the others, those that are calling him inferior. He says, are they Hebrews? So am I. In other words, ethnically, are they in the right ethnicity? Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? Well, so am I. Do they come from the right nation? What's their nationality? Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. In other words, my genealogy traces back to the fathers of the Jews. I have the credentials. Are they servants of Christ? He says, I'm talking like a madman. He's embarrassed. I'm a better one. With far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, near death many times. Five times I received 39 lashes from Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods by the Romans. Once I was stoned by my enemies. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent night and day in the open sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brothers. I'm tired of reading about it. And he lived it. Many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and lacking clothing. My friends, what we need to recognize is that when Jesus called Paul, he inverted his status. He gave up everything. And he endured a lot to follow Jesus. Paul would say if he were here, I think he would honestly would say with tears streaming down his face, I think he would say, I persecuted Christians. I chased them down. And in front of their family and their children, I humiliated them. I mocked them. I imprisoned them. I didn't care about the crying or the weeping or the wailing. And then, on the way to do more, a voice from heaven, a clap of thunder, and I can't see. And then I hear the voice of God. He doesn't kill me. He doesn't destroy me. He restores me. 
And then I was sent out. I lost everything. I was ridiculed. I was humiliated. I was mocked. But everything that I had, and we see this in Philippians chapter 3, everything that I had, everything that I had done, it was like dung. It was worthless when compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Jesus, my Lord. It wasn't even close. All the sacrifice, all the suffering, my friends, when you see that happening to me, I am filling up the sufferings of Christ you did not see Christ suffer, but, but when you see me suffer on behalf of Christ, you are seeing Christ suffer, and I'm willing to do that. I count it a privilege, a privilege to do that. My friends, we need to hear that voice. We are stuck in a world and in a culture and in a country where it's all about being comfortable. It's all about trying to do as little sacrifice and suffering as possible. I mean, we are creatures of comfort. When they were cutting up my nose and getting skin cancer out of there, believe me, the shot that I got in my nose that numbed my nose, I'm glad I didn't feel anything after that. Now, as I said before, that shot in my nose, that's the worst thing I've ever had in my life. That's the worst shot. Stay away from shots in your nose if you can. Just a public service announcement, okay? Nancy and I, about five years ago, we kind of said, you know what? We're old enough now, we want to be more comfortable, and we bought air conditioning. And it's like a member of the family. When we take family pictures, we stand there and we just hug the air conditioning unit because it's awesome. I love having it. We live in a very comfortable world, a very comfortable country, and, and we're bombarded with advertisement that says, be more comfortable, you deserve to be comfortable. And as I was going through this, the hardest part for me out. Um, the hardest part for me was the iconic symbol for Christianity is a cross. And I, I, gotta, I gotta live that out. I gotta live it better. Jesus suffered. And this world is not for us. It's just not. And I've got to live that better. And you've got to live that better. And we've got to be the church that lives that better. Because the cross pulls us away from comfort. That's not to say that we can't be comfortable. Please don't hear me say that because I bought an air conditioner, I think I'm sinning. No, it's the pursuit of comfort. It's, it's making sure that everything you do is comfortable. How you live, what you buy, where you live. What you do, what you don't do. It's the pursuit of that. That the voice of Paul needs to shake us to be mindful and to remember that the iconic symbol of our faith is a cross, my friends. We need to hear that voice. We need to stop pursuing comfort and embrace the suffering and sacrifice that comes when we follow Jesus Christ. And then you can imagine when the church, us, high point, when we are courageously sharing our story like Peter did. When we are looking to make an impact by suffering, because people step back and go, what, what, that's unusual. Why are you doing that? Because I follow Jesus. 
when we do these things, when we're fully committed, when, when we're living with an eternal perspective that says, it's not about here, my friends, we will have a, a momentum that's unstoppable for the glory of God and the, and the movement of the kingdom of God. And so I, I just want to challenge you, not just this week, I want to challenge you this year. We've tried to take this, this idea of what we've been entrusted with on this mission, and we've tried to simplify it. And we say, aiming to know Jesus and make him known. And the A stands for activate faith. I want you to think about how can you this year activate your faith? What does that look like? And faith, it's a muscle. It's something we exercise. It certainly comes from what we know, but then we exercise it. What does that look like for you? And then how can you impact your world? What does that look like in your world? What, what, what sacrifice, what suffering might you incur and endure that might change your world? And then multiply disciples. That's, what we, that's the mission we've been given. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And that was a command not just to the 11 that were there. When you look at that command, what, that's, what he's saying is to the disciples, Go make disciples, which means that you teach them Matthew chapter 28. So the disciples you make need to teach Matthew chapter 28. So we're to make disciples after disciples after disciples. And that's God's strategy. That's how we be the church. And whether you know it or not, that's what you signed up for when you decided to follow Jesus. That's what I signed up for. That's what we need to be about. Let me pray. Father, I, uh, I thank you for your patience and your mercy and your grace and your love for us. I thank you for the voices. Oh, how humbling it is. How humbling it is, Lord God. And I know that in my own life, when I line my life up against the voices that we've heard today, there is work to do in Kevin Sullivan's life. And I know that there's work to do in everybody else's. And I thank you for your grace and your mercy and your patience. I thank you that when we don't do what we wanted to, when we're like Peter and we shrink back and we're afraid, I thank you that we have the example of you restoring him. Feed my sheep, you said to him. And Lord God, you say the same to us. And I pray that we would 